0: This morning's scripture reading comes from Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Please read along in your own immersed Bibles. I think you'll find it on page 186, or else the text on the screen. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful love? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin.
1: So my wife, uh, Patty, and I, we've gotten caught into a, um, a TV series thing. It's a Netflix production called The Crown, And if you love the sort of, um, I have to be careful because I know we have some people here from England, but I'm kind of an Anglophile. I don't love them more than anyone else. But something in the American spirit. We just love the, uh, the British. And this is, it's a fantastic, it's well done. It's really, really well done. And I've only seen year one or season one. And if you've gone beyond that, you have to shut up. I will not listen to whatever you have to say, but it is going to be I can tell it 's pretty slow moving in terms of chronology and it 's going to be going on for a while <laughs> after all, the queen is still alive um, but uh, in in season one, what I pick up is a tension there. This is my way of of interpreting what the the storyline is there 's a tension between those who want to live authentically and those who believe that duty is the main thing. So you have the the rule breakers and the rule keepers. And depending on your heart, if you're more of a rule breaker or a rule keeper, you might identify with different characters. So I want to get the the characters up here for you. And this is, if you didn't know, I mean, I shouldn't have to tell you that. Doesn't she look like a queen? That's the queen right there. Um, Queen Elizabeth II. And uh, over here is uh, her mom, and uh, who who passed away, what, about 10 years ago maybe? And then uh, this is uh, her, um, the mom's mother-in-law, and uh, she dies in the first season. And they are both very much conformists, that you follow tradition, and everything will work out better that way. But next to, uh, this is her son, King Edward VIII, who only was on the throne for a year, if you know the story. And uh, he... Couldn't be a conformist. He had to authentically follow his heart towards an American divorcee named Wallace Simpson, and he he does that, and he renounces the throne. So I mean, it was a you know, quite a scandal, and uh, it it on the surface at least, it sounds like you know a love story during Valentine's Day week. Maybe you know something there for you. Uh, and then next to next to Edward is Philip, uh, who's also still alive. I think he's ninety five or ninety six now, and uh, but he's he's not as duty bound as his wife, the queen, and he, you can tell he's struggling to be married to this woman who puts duty or seems to put duty above everything else. I'll come back to that comment in a sec, and then you have oh, you have Margaret, and she's kind of spicy, and uh, in, in real life as well, and uh, the beautiful younger sister. And then she's having uh, an affair with this guy right here. Uh, Well, anyway, you have to watch it. And then here's Winston, Winston Churchill. Who's also a conformist, uh, very kind of a <laughs> individual conformist. He's his own man, but he believes in tradition. And then Anthony Eden, who's his uh, also in that, in the prime minister uh, after him. So you have this this tension between uh, the rule breakers and the rule keepers, between those who want to live authentically and those who say we should conform. And uh, this is set in the 1950s, the first season, and. Now, since the 1950s, which side has won the battle in culture at large? Are we more conforming or more uh, following our hearts? We're heart folks. I mean, just admit it. Our culture is based on following your heart. Uh, Charles Taylor, the philosopher from Canada, uh, has called this the age of authenticity, and uh, he... He, he slices and dices that up a bit. But it is that we, we value authenticity above all else. Uh, so uh, what I want to do is look at the New Testament through that that sort of lens of conformity and authenticity. And I want, you to sh- I want you to see how Jesus Christ brings those two words together and how this thread runs through our culture today, but also through our own hearts. And uh, hopefully I can make sense of that. And that's going to lead us to the communion table here. So I want to begin with our... This is just to give you an, an outline. There's, uh, I'll explain what, what I mean by two brothers in just a sec. But two brothers in crisis, two brothers in big grace, and then the younger brother asks a question, which you heard read for us, and we'll come to that in Romans chapter 6 two brothers in uh, a big crisis. I want to I want to anchor this because we've been this is our third week in this series and the New Testament does tie together. Shouldn't surprise us that there are threads and themes that run through it. In in the words of Jesus when he tells a story of these two brothers, there's a younger brother and an older brother. The younger brother is known as the prodigal son, Luke chapter 15. This is where we were 2 weeks ago. And the younger brother, what is he? A, a conformist or is he an authenticity guy? He's going to follow his heart. And he renounces the throne, like Edward Eighth. He renounces his uh, citizenship with his family and takes his mon- the money from the inheritance. And he goes out, wine, women, and song, kind of wastes it. He chooses to do that. And he ends up, we'll come back to this theme later, that his freedom leads to his enslavement, in a, a form of enslavement in a, 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 a pigsty and he comes to his senses, and then he begins to go home. The father goes out to meet him. You know the story. He's welcomed into the home on the sheer grace of the father. Now, at the same time, there's an older brother. Conformist or authenticity guy? Conformist. Conformist you got to go by the rules. And he broke the rules. And what are you doing letting him back into the house? And he's really bothered by that. And he indicts himself when he says, I have been slaving for you all these years. So he has chosen to be a slave. So you have a younger brother who's a slave to sin, an older brother who's a slave to the law. That's where N.T. Wright, who's a modern theologian who likes to play with these kind of things, says that He, he tells hey, what Jesus is saying here, he's speaking to Jews, and he's he's really saying to them at, at a deep level, "You are the older son. You are the older son. The Jewish nation, Israel, uh, Exodus chapter four, verse twenty-two. Israel, God says, is my firstborn son. Well, who's the secondborn son? It's the Gentiles. And in the big picture, it's the Gentiles." And then we see that worked out as the church unfolds in Acts. This is where we were last week, so I'm trying to take you through here, a little review. And you find in the book of Acts, there's this new group called the church, and it's filled with people who are Jewish believers in Jesus and Gentiles or non-Jews who believe in Jesus, and they have a few things to work out amongst themselves. And uh, we find that in Acts chapter 15, they work things out where the the, Jew, the Jewish Christians wanted to add something. It's Jesus plus circumcision, Jesus plus the food laws, Jesus plus the Sabbath. And they work it out there. They say, no, it's just Jesus. And aren't you glad? I mean, you should be glad. Most of are, we identify with the Gentile, with the younger brother on that point. And they agreed to that. Well, they agreed to it, but when you agree to something, that doesn't mean you always just, things don't change overnight. We had a civil war to decide slavery, but we still had a lot of slavery. We still had a lot of racism, right? I mean, things don't just change. You can't make just make laws and everything changes. So uh, they make a decision, and now they have to live into it. So we come to this week's reading, which begins in First and Second Corinthians. Now, First and Second Corinthians is a younger brother church. It's dominated by Gentiles, and Corinth was known as sin city in that day, first century, and they are imbibing things from Sin City. Does, does the, how does the grace of God work here? There's a man there living or sleeping with his father's wife, so it would be his stepmother. And Paul is saying, that is not an, an emblem of grace. That is an emblem of sin. And you are, you know, he just says, you, and everybody seems to think it's okay. That's not okay, Paul says. And he's right. Is there anybody here that thinks it's okay to sleep with your father's wife? You know, where are the lines that we draw and Paul, you know, he comes down very, very hard there. And so uh, then we go to Galatians, the next book there. And Galatians is a younger brother church. It's filled with Gentiles. And there are older brothers that are coming along and saying, your faith in Jesus is not enough. See here, they, they, that voice comes back. And Paul is saying, you know, he just, he's just as livid here as he was earlier, that no, you, it's not, you don't need, you're going to become enslaved to the law. It's not just slave to sin, but to the law. As the older brother is saying, you must be circumcised, you must eat the right foods, and you must obey the Sabbath laws. So, I mean, Paul's got his work cut out for him. he's get, has got both sides here. And then we come to Romans, which was the last reading that we did uh, this week. And if, if you're you know on schedule, that's where you are. We have got through chapter. I think it's chapter eight is is where I. And I hope I'm on the right place. You know, I should be, I guess. But uh, uh, my wife my wife reads ahead. She's an overachiever. Uh, I, mean, I, I just, you know, have a hard time keeping up. But um, Romans chapter eight. Or chapter 6 is where we're going to go. But before we go to that, uh, let's look at the first few chapters Romans chapter 1 through 3, roughly verse 20. And Paul puts on a hat there and he gets into the courtroom and. Um, It's a legal hat, so he's the prosecuting attorney. And he begins by slicing and dicing the Gentiles. And he says that you gave yourself over. That's a a famous phrase that Paul uses in uh, Romans. They gave themselves over to idols, meaning anything that, that, that this is the Gentiles, the non-Jews, that they put other things in front of God, and they forget about God, they they forget about morality, and they just pursue their own hearts. They are truly authentic to their own hearts, and it leads them to very bad places. and Paul says that is unacceptable to God. And you can hear um, in, the, in the church. Now, the church in Rome, was we, we know that it was in tension. There were, if you read the letter, you'll find that, that there are certain aspects that are written to the Jew and certain aspects that are written to the Gentile, and that there's tension between these two groups. Some scholars believe that they're actually meeting in two separate places, two separate houses. It's all, all churches of those days met in houses so you can hear as this letter is being read and if, the, if in fact the Jews are present and they hear that part of it they would be saying, oh yeah, yeah, that's true and Paul addresses that next in chapter 2 and 3 and, he's, and he actually spends more ink on the Jews they have a big problem they are enslaved to the law and they are no more acceptable to God in fact, your, your slavery to the law is a sin because you're looking down on the Gentiles and no one has a right to look down on someone else it's, he just—I mean—he just cuts everybody down. You're in crisis. Don't you realize you're in crisis? There's no room for pride in all of this. You're living in Sin City. You Jews—you just don't. Your eyes are closed. And Paul is a Jewish Christian, so he can get away with it without being accused of being racist or whatever. I have a, a, a dear just the sweetest pastor friend. We're really close friends. And I was with him a while back. And he said he was in a uh, kind of a small group situation that he was uh, trying to lead it. And it was right after the uh, Las Vegas shootings, which was like, and I say this with, with um, not, sad, great sadness. It was like 20 shootings ago in the world of media. Big stuff. We live, we, folks, we are in crisis. This is not first century. We are in crisis today. It's everywhere. So, in this group, uh, someone who's, I'm sure, a well meaning Christian person said they were talking about the shooting that week in Las Vegas, and the, and the idea came up that, well, that's Sin City and things like that just seem to happen in places like that. And Dave, who's good guy, smart guy, just turned turn to that person and said, wherever I am is sin city. And that's true. That's, tr- that's what Paul is saying here. Paul, who calls himself the chief of sinners elsewhere, he, he understands this. Paul, who wrestles with sin in chapter 7, or at least under, he says, I understand what it's like to not do what I should do in Romans 7, which maybe you read that. He gets it. We're all in crisis. We're all in crisis, and we live as if we're not in crisis. So there you go. The two brothers in a big crisis. Now the two brothers. Paul goes on. If I were to, or if he would have ended the letter there, or if if I were to end the, the sermon here, we would all go away feeling really, really bad. Um, but then he he takes the next couple of chapters and he just loads of grace onto them. But, he begins with the word but. We can't approach God. We're not acceptable to God. It's not about achieving anything. It's about receiving. It's about seeing Christ for who He is and what He has done for us. It's about realizing that God, when He sees you, He sees Jesus Jesus is the... If Jesus... uh, Here's here's a point to get in here, but if Jesus didn't lead a perfectly human life, if he wasn't the prototypical human that we were intended to be, if he sinned at some point in his life, then we're all... uh, It doesn't work. Paul's argument falls apart because he's saying that Christ was the perfect sacrifice for humanity, that he's the one who takes us out of crisis, that he's the one... When we put our trust in him, our faith in him... Then God sees us in a new way it 's a whole different strategy than trying to uh, achieve this on your own so i don 't want to i 'm not going to spend a lot of time on that that 's kind of a, a big deal that we talk about around here so um, just let you let you know that Paul goes from this crisis to in his argument to uh, this idea of the big grace, and that grace is not ultimately a life force or it's not a, even a doctrine it's a person and that's really important it's, it's a person Jesus Christ well then we come to the younger brother question and it's truly a, it's a question the older brother could never ask, a Jew could never ask this question it just wouldn't make any sense for a Jew to ask the question well if, if God's grace to us goes up when sin goes up then why don't we just keep sinning more so that God's grace would go up even higher, right? If you've ever had a... a this, is, this gets lived out in a real way in families. I mean, I've, I've had my kids, not in the exact words, but they've said, you know, kind of the same... They think they're good lawyers or whatever, and they, they kind of figure out the way it works. and, and um, So here's, here's my way of saying it, and I've said this before, but oh, here's my prayer. Oh God, you are so gracious and forgiving, and I am such a sinner. What a partnership we can make together, you know? What a deal that this, how this works for us. And you just, you're okay with your sin. Um, if you go back to Jesus, that doesn't make sense. To, you know, just think about the words of Jesus, it doesn't make any sense. And it certainly doesn't make any sense with Paul so um, what, one of the ways that I would answer that and this isn't what Paul does but I'll just give you one little answer here is that uh, if you're, a, if you're a, you know, a really good parent I think you may have said these words to your children that I love you no matter what you can do anything and I will still love you and that's exactly what God that's, that's an example of who God is to us I mean we, he does that with us we're really frustrating to him and yet he still loves us and children can be really frustrating can they not? and that you still love them. But what if your child, in his heart or her heart, says, and and this happens in the real world, well, I'm going to make you prove that what you said is really true, that you will love me no matter what I do, and your life mission, their life mission, is to go out and make you love them in the worst situations. Now, what happens in, in that situation is that the relationship breaks down as it has with humanity and God. God still loves, but there's no relationship. That's what happens in families. You try to have a relationship that's based in love. And it just it takes two sides to make a relationship and what God wants to do is restore the relationship. So that's my answer if I were writing if I were Paul, that's what I would have said. But he didn't say that. But I wanted anyway, I have the floor, so you've got to hear it. And it's it's based in scripture. But what Paul does say, he goes to the identity Argument, and he talks about baptism, and he said, "Remember that you were baptized, and Jesus was baptized." This is we find this in Luke's gospel amongst the other amongst the others. There's three times it's stated where Jesus was baptized, and when Jesus was baptized, what did he hear? He heard the words of the Father, this is my beloved Son, or you are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And when we are in Christ, our identity is in Christ, we get to hear those words as well. We are baptized, we go under the water, when we go under the water, we die with Christ to our old self. That's why I like to leave people under for at least 30 seconds. (laughs) just kidding if you're thinking about baptism but it's not a bad thought you're really dead and then the, but Paul says that when you come out of the water you're raised up you are resurrected with Christ so you identify with Christ's death and resurrection you are in Christ you are united with Christ this is the language that Paul goes and that's your primary identity you will have other identities in life I'm a, a husband, um, I liked, I, I'm a reader, I, I'm a father, I'm all, I can give you lots of I am stuff, I, I'm a pastor. But all of that is secondary to your primary identity. You're, this is, and this is so critical to living authentically today. We'll come back to that in a bit. But if, if you get that wrong, if you get your identity thing wrong, everything falls apart. On the positive side, I, I was able to baptize uh, this this young German girl who came to live with us. And the first day she came to live with us, our boys were young, and she was throwing out uh, bad words. <laughs> and, I, you know, she's, she was from Germany, and, she, you know, it was, we kind of thought it was funny, but not so funny with our kids there. And so we had to talk to her, kind of a older brother talk, you know. Shouldn't do that. And, and uh, felt like the older brother. And... But eventually, we got to talk about what it means to to live in a Christian faith, and it took time. It took a couple of years, but then she got baptized. So I wanted to describe the baptism to you, just so you know. She it, it was in, it was actually in a Baptist church because we it was the only place we could get to do it, and it was in the winter. It was this time of year, and so in the Baptist church, in, in a lot of Baptist churches, they have a big mural. Uh, up here, like John the Baptist baptizing Jesus in the Jordan River. I don't even know what it was, but it was this mural, and it looked like something you'd see in a Baptist church, if you know what I'm talking about. And then there was a sort of bathtub thing in front of it that um, so, okay, we're good, and um, there's Eva, and she's ready, and I'm ready, and so I get her in there, and I hold her down. I needed to hold her down quite a while to get those bad words out of there, right? <laughs> and I didn't know what she was going to do, and um, I had no... She was, she was kind of crazy. And so she, somehow she, she, this was premeditated, I'm sure, but she got her feet in a place where she just flew, kind of flew out of the water. Water's going everywhere, splashing everywhere. And she'd be, you know, James Brown, I feel good. Do, 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 do. Like I knew I would. Do, do. And she only, only just over expressive This is the authentic this is the authentic Eva that's coming out. But um, it was so beautiful. It was such a picture of this death-to-life thing that was so real in her. And she is following Christ today. She is, we get these little emails from her. She's got two little kids now, and she's teaching them about Jesus from in Germany. Well, then you take that, and this, this is a, I'm going to give you a quote up here from I know nothing about the, the, there's probably nothing in the world I know less about than women who fight each other. So I have no fascination with that, just in case you're wondering. But Ronda Rousey, you know that name? Anybody know that name? It, she's, she's famous for her fights. And apparently she won all of her fights until one night when she lost. And in an instant, she was uh, knocked out and... Uh, Here's what she said afterwards. Honestly, my th- thought in the medical room, sitting in the corner, and was like, what am I, any- what am I anymore if I'm not this? It's an identity question. Literally sitting there, thinking of killing myself. In that exact second, I'm like, I'm nothing. What do I do anymore? That's the identity. Uh, conundrum. When you don't, if you put your hope, the, what, what Paul would be saying is you, if you give yourself over to an identity that is not rooted and anchored in God, in Christ, you will end up in that place. Everything else you tie yourself to will let you down. Well, she, did, you know, she didn't kill herself. Um, that, I mean, I'm not, but she, and she, apparently she's gone on to other battles. So, um, good news for Rhonda. I want to. Uh, the other thing that Paul does, so he gets into the identity thing, and then I want to close with this. He gets into the slavery thing. He uses the word slavery here. And it brings to mind the word freedom and how the Bible defines freedom and how we define freedom. And it's very, very different. So when we define freedom, we tend to think of I get to do whatever I want. Age of authenticity language, right? Follow your heart. Uh, the problem is that the Bible says that in our old self the part that was put to death in baptism that if we follow that heart that old heart uh, we will end up in some very bad places Jeremiah says the, the human heart is desperately wicked who can know it? now you get a new heart it's a different story because Jesus is there but it's, it's, uh, it's, not, it's not a good thing to follow your Heart. If you were to look at the biographies, the unvarnished biographies of Prince Edward the Eighth and Margaret, uh, the Princess Margaret, you'll find a lot of pain. People who followed their heart, and it didn't work out so well for them. And there's uh, they're just more famous than the rest of us who try to do that. So slavery, the, the conundrum is, or the paradox is that that when we when we express our freedoms, when we give ourselves over to Something other than God, we get enslaved. When we and, and we start, we may start out with a measure of freedom. I don't want to say we're, we're, we do have some freedom, but the, we we misinterpret that freedom, and so we might give ourselves over to a drink if it's alcohol, and that's a choice that we make. But then that drink, which was a choice, becomes a master over us. And just take that and it no matter what your addiction is or what you struggle with you have lots of masters and paul is saying here and you can agree or disagree with him but every human being has a master there is no such thing as a masterless human being and if maybe the worst case scenario is that you are the master of your own life because you you know that's not exactly the the best news ever so there's this idea that freedom is the uh, ultimate thing in life has many flaws. There is a way, the writer of, of Proverbs says, there is a way that seems right to a man or a woman, but in the end it leads to death. That's what we're talking about. It seems, it, we just don't realize what, what our freedom uh, actually is. So here's the, the false dichotomy that I want to I resolve that. Uh, false dichotomy between... uh, I want to bring them together, these two words, authenticity and conformity in Christ. Only Christ can do this. (laughs) It's amazing. But authenticity in the Christian life is to be authentic in your life towards Christ, in your life towards God. To be your true self, new self, baptized self, to to be united to Christ is to be authentic. When you become a Christian, when you live and grow in Christ, when you become united to Christ, you become more yourself, not less yourself. The more you become like Christ, the more you become your true self. And we will all look a little different. Only God could do that. So that's what authenticity is in Christ. But what's conformity? Romans chapter 8, verse... 29, I think, that we are called to be conformed to the image of Christ. So there we go. We become like Christ to be authentic, and we become like Christ to be uh, conformed in His image. Only Christ can bring those two things together. The two brothers can come together now. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to this table, we remember as the song sung earlier, is that you are the center. You are the grace. You are the life that we find here. And so uh, we open our hearts to you. Meet us here, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.